Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com because you won't find us on Google or Facebook. We respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health in these crazy and turbulent times. And we are joined today by a frequently recurrent guest, Barbara Lowe Fisher. Uh, and she's joining us to give us an update on uh, really a vitally important topic in these troubled times now, which is the what the, what's changed in the last year and updated. And uh, as we're recording this, which is a, a few weeks before it's going to be seen by you, uh, we have a celebration because the because, FDA right. licensed cha- transition the emergency use authorization to full approval of the Pfizer vaccine, full approval, even though it has not been tested. And Barb is going to give us insights on that and all, all the insanity of why this is one of the most ridiculous approvals ever by the FDA. But uh, before we get into that and all these other incredible updates you've you're going to love. Um, this is we're, we're put that what's this catalyzed this uh, interview is that this is being done in, in conjunction with our 12th, can you believe a dozen years now, the 12th annual vaccine awareness weeks. And, you know, I'm kind of delighted that I was an early adopter in this area because you know, there was very few percentage, maybe you can relate to the percentage of the population that was aware of these illnesses. It's certainly way less than 10%. My guess is below, below somewhere between one and 5%. And 2008 was when we first joined forces. Um, so we've been supporting her every year. And we're I'm actually one of, I think I am the biggest uh, donor for this organization, which has been around for for 35 years, 35 uh, to 40 years. 40, we're, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary in okay. April of 2022. All right. So 40 years, Barb has been, I mean, talk about, I'm, I'm delighted to be an early adopter. She preceded me because I really wasn't aware of the dangers of vaccines until the probably the mid to late nineties before it became into my consciousness. And then I realized about a t- decade later that Barb was really the leader in this area. So that's why I wanted to join forces with her because I just, had this deep, profound sadness of all the damage I did to kids. Still have challenges with that. Uh, so, so I wanted to rectify that by supporting. And you know, if you read the news, I'm made out to be a criminal because I'm somehow supporting this organization when there's absolutely no benefit to me. I don't benefit in any way, shape, or form. So hopefully I can th- this conversation and the, the long years of the support we have will inspire you to also support Barb's mission. And we'll, we'll, she will share with you the specific details on how that support has been used uh, within the past year. So with all that long introduction, Barb, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mercola. Yes, it's uh, it's really kind of surreal for me to <clears throat> watch what has unfolded since the winter of 2020 in that 
I predicted in the 1990s when I was speaking on the, uh, particularly the chiropractic conference circuit, I predicted that the day would come when we would not be able to function in society unless we had received every government recommended vaccine. I didn't exactly understand how they would get there, but now we know how they got there. Um, and it's, uh, it's like living my worst nightmare uh, that I actually thought my children and grandchildren would be grappling with after I was long gone. And instead, you know, <laughs> after 40 years, I, I, I'm here to witness it. And um, it's very disturbing, uh, but also within, the, within this difficult challenge, we have opportunity uh, because I truly think that what they've done has, has completely changed the public's view of public health officials and of public health in general, uh, policy in general. And I don't think they're, they're going to recover, uh, perhaps ever, but certainly not for a long, long time, the, the perception that the public has not been told the whole truth about how this virus came about um, about the the way in which they handle it, which certainly, if you look at it really clearly, you see that psychological warfare, in, in a way, has been used to create such fear and anxiety in the minds of so many people that they were willing to give up fundamental civil liberties in order to feel safe, an illusion of safety. This is this is what has been done to societies, to our society and the societies around the world in terms of economic ruin, psychological problems that people are going to have, particularly children who have been forced to put put masks on their face all, all this time is is incalculable, really. And so I think they they have a they they have overreached uh, because they're zealots about in, in seeing that everyone should or thinking that everyone should get all these vaccines in order to keep the public safe. Yeah. Well, it's amazing, this outrageous propaganda that has been used to catalyze the fear, which allows them to implement their ridiculous strategies to, to address this that, that are beyond highly irrational. But, uh, unless you use the perspective of uh, rational from the, the point of increasing their revenues big time. We were talking hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars just in this year alone. Just in that last year, it's hundreds of billions of dollars and more. It's the recurring revenue. You know, they I mentioned earlier in the intro that the, the Pfizer just approved the vaccine, important boosters. Who knows the frequency of the boosters? Probably twice a year, maybe three times or four times a year. Who knows? So I wanted to go back to a question I had in my intro with you with respect to the the percentage of the population, at least in the United States, because those are the numbers we know most accurately, and I'm sure you're familiar with the, the, the statistics there, the percentage of the people who are either vaccine hesitant or, or maybe, I think it's an unfair categorization to use anti-vax because it's really pro-vaccine safety, but they like to disparage it and twist the, 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 the language to, to uh, discredit us. So what, what is the percentage now? And what do you think with this outrageous, reprehensible, falsehoods that are being sped by, by the mainstream media, what has that changed to? I think it's about 40 to 50% of, of people who previously were pro-vax. I mean, even vaccinologists like Robert Malone and, and, every, and many physicians who got all the vaccines that were recommended are now 
highly opposed to this COVID shot? Well, we know from polls <clears throat> that about two thirds of people do not want vaccine mandates. They do not want to be forced to uh, show a vaccine passport in order to participate in society, enter a restaurant or a store, hold a job, go to college, et cetera. There is definitely not an appetite in this country for mandatory use of this COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, but what we have seen over the past uh, 18 months to we're coming up on two years, really, uh, is that a growing number of people are asking questions. And, it's, and I think it's significant that the doctors and healthcare workers, the frontline workers on this pandemic, in large numbers are, are refusing the vaccine. And when I say large numbers, I'm talking 25% or to 30% do are, are, are resisting. Uh, that's that's quite significant when they're the ones who have been taking care of these patients in hospitals. And I think that it when you have, in, in fact, there was a, a letter that was uh, sent to the UK government uh, in, in mid-August where physicians and scientists signed the letter and said, there needs to be a reevaluation of how the government has responded to this virus, that challenging the government to reevaluate these draconian lockdowns and these policies that have harmed societies around the world. They were speaking specifically of the United Kingdom, where there have been uh, you know, much, many more lockdowns. And part of the reason you're seeing more stringent lockdowns in other countries is that they don't have the same system of government that we have in this country, we have a three-tiered system of government. Thank goodness our founders uh, you know, put that into the constitution. We have a federal government and we have state governments and we also have local governments. This has taken the, the, um, this sort of centralized approach which you're seeing in countries in Europe where they're holding massive demonstrations, hundreds of thousands of people showing up again and again in the cities of London, uh, Paris, Rome, Athens, uh, Berlin, uh, protesting these vaccine passports because these are centralized governments that don't have the local, uh, the state and local governments that we have here, where here we've seen uh, states, that, 21 states that have passed legislation this year prohibiting vax COVID vaccine mandates in some form. This is good news for us, and we can talk about this more later, but uh, I, I really, I really feel that uh, you you have a, a much greater awareness now because of this overreach about vaccine issues that really mm -hmm. transcend COVID. We've been talking about these issues about vaccine For ineffectiveness, years. leaking va leaky vaccines like this one is, as well as vaccine safety issues for forty years. So this is not these issues aren't just relevant for COVID. I'm hoping that this conversation is going to widen to taking a real critical look at the entire uh, mass vaccination system that is the centerpiece of public health policies around the world. Yeah, so maybe a third of the people have this awareness. Now, what do you think this awareness of an appropriate concern for the safety of vaccines was before all this craziness started, you know, pre-2020? Oh. Was it was it was about 5% or? Oh, or you know, back in the day, back when we started in the early 1980s, and, and we were the parents of DPT vaccine injured children. And we worked with Congress on the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. It was such a different time. 
there was no information at all for the public about vaccine risks. Doctors did not discuss it at all with parents because parents knew nothing. So when and they, a child and they knew they know equally as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. They don't get any education on it in, in medical school, as you know. It, it you know it's just get the vaccine into the child. Uh, but this this whole issue that that is number one topic around the world today began decades ago, and it had to do with the safety of childhood vaccines. When I came into this work, it was seven vaccines we were giving our children, mm -hmm. diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, and the DPT shot, measles, mumps, and rubella, and the MMR shot, and oral polio vaccine. That was it. Yeah, and that, That's and, all and, the children got. And I went and practiced in 85, and that's exactly the schedule I was giving to my patients. Right. No question. So, and it changed in the 80s or in the 80s, early in the 90s. 90s it was really yeah. the big push was in the early 90s. Yeah. Can we address that for a moment? Because it, 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 I'm pretty convinced that you're going to agree with this. It seems as the catalyst and the stimulus to, to have this ra radical increase in the number of shots. And, and it just makes so much sense if you think about it, was a bill that you were responsible, partly responsible for, and sometimes criticized for, which is the 1986 uh, vaccine uh, child National adverse. It was the I National was, Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, right? Yes, in 1986, which essentially insulated all the vaccine makers from any liability at all. So they no, said, well, wait, wait, hold it. Okay, all right, you, you take it from there. But anyway, <laughs> let me just finish the concept. Okay. The insulation from liability is what catalyzed that they knew they had a gravy train and they went to the races, created these all these new vaccines. And this is what exploded, literally exploded the number of vaccines. It wasn't this acute understanding that they had an effective strategy to eliminate disease in mankind. No, they had an acute opportunity to generate incredible profits. Yeah, here's the deal. And I really encourage people to watch the 1986 act, the movie, the 1986 Which you're the star yeah. of. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm the star of it, but I mean, I do make comments in there about yeah. what really happened. And that's the thing. There's so much myth that's grown up about this law. When that law was passed in 1986, November of 1986, and yes, I and other parents of DPT vaccine injured children worked on that law with Congress. They basically told us they were going to protect these companies from liability. We could either come to the table and argue for what we thought the children should get or not come to the table, but they were going to pass the law. Yeah, We came to the a, table and did the best we could. Right. We were just a young group of parents we, against great odds against the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industry, uh, and the government that all wanted to take total liability away from these manufacturers and the doctors. We managed to get that law to not protect the doctors. When that law was passed, the doctors were still liable for medical malpractice when it came to vaccines harming a child. The other thing was the companies were still liable for design defect. It, what they got off on was failure to warn. Okay, that this is the, what people just don't understand. They were still liable in the civil court of law, okay? And what did they do? In 1987, in the dead of the night, in December, a, an amendment was added to an omnibus, omnibus budget bill. We knew nothing about it. And they added an amendment that completely left all the doctors and vaccine providers off the hook in a civil court of law. 
And, and, and in hearings in 87, the companies begged Congress to give them full liability protection and the Congress wouldn't do it. They only gave the doctors full liability protection. So that law also, our unique contribution was the safety provisions, informing, recording, reporting safety provisions. Theirs is a result of what we did in insisting that there be a centralized vaccine advertisement reporting system that parents and the public could report to as well as the doctors. This is a, and this is a one of a kind vaccine adverse event reporting system. That's why we know today that more than half a million COVID vaccine reactions have been reported by, by the public, but by doctors around this country and in other countries that use the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, and the Johnson and Johnson vaccines, but most of them are using Pfizer and Moderna. There have been more than 12,000 deaths reported to that system. So in that law, we also got that parents would have to be given written vaccine information before their children are vaccinated. It's a federal law that doctors are supposed to be giving these vaccine information statements to parents. But you know what? I helped work on the original vaccine information statements after that law was passed. And those were booklets. They were booklets, not one piece of paper. But after the law was passed, not only did they gut the Congress and the, the, and the rulemaking authority by the Department of Health and Human Services, they gutted the vaccine safety provisions and, and reduced that paper to one piece of paper. They took out a lot of information that should be given to parents. They, they gutted the, safe, the compensation provisions. So today, almost no child qualifies for compensation under that law. I guess what I'm trying to say is, what the law is original passed is not anything like the law that we see today. The final, the final nail in the coffin of that law was the U.S. Supreme Court in 2011. All of the manufacturers, all of the medical organizations, government organizations, all came in on the side of Wyeth in a court case called Brusovitz versus Wyeth. It was a DPT vaccine injury case. And the case was boarded on design defect that Wyeth could have made a vaccine safer, the DPT vaccine safer, and they didn't do it. And you know what that Supreme Court did? The majority, the majority led by Scalia said that the legislative history was clear. The Congress intended there to be no liability for vaccine manufacturers when that was absolutely the opposite of what the legislative history shows. And Sotomayor, Judges Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote a brilliant dissent. And in that dissent, they said the legislative history does not show that Congress wanted to give the companies complete liability protection. So the myths that have been, that have been created about this law need to be, <laughs> it needs to be a clearing of, of this. And the 1986, that, uh, disc, uh, that movie sh uh, shows it. Yeah, thanks for that great summary, Barb. As you were there, you were part of history when it was created 40 years, well, not 40, 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. So- um, But you're but, right, but, Dr. McCullough, you're right that after that law was passed, the floodgates opened mm -hmm. 
on more vaccines being created for children and automatically mandated. There's not been one vaccine that has been created by the pharmaceutical industry and endorsed by government that has not eventually been mandated. And what they're trying to do during this pandemic is set the stage for every adult to also be required to get every government endorsed vaccine. It is a public-private partnership between the pharmaceutical industry and government. And it's dangerous because when I came into this work, there was somewhat of a firewall between pharmaceutical industry and government. They're now one and the same. And mm -hmm. pharma calls the shots at the FDA and NIH and CDC. And that's just the plain truth of it. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, so many things we've discussed, but I wanted to comment on your citing of the, the statistics of the deaths and the complications from the, from the COVID injection which I believe are a bit dated because I when I looked at it this last weekend, it was up to 600,000 adverse effects yes. and over 13,000 deaths. And I assure you, by the time you do this, that number will likely be 700,000, 800,000, and the deaths will probably be over 14,000. And that is just reported to bears. It needs to be very clearly understood. We know that in all likelihood, it ranges anywhere from 10 to 100 times as much, but at a minimum, five times what's reported, because there's a number of very well done studies that show that the underreporting is massive. So that is the bare but minimum. These statistics are not falsified like the, like the COVID data and deaths have been from 2020. So um, I wanted to make that point and then um, go on to, oh, the insulation from liability that you just discussed was essentially, uh, you know, created the opportunity for them to produce all these additional vaccines. But, I, but there, there was another act that was packed. I think it was the PrEP Act that provided additional immunity and liability protection. So am I incorrect or what, what, did, it, what did this PrEP Act, what additional protections did it provide? Because they, they were essentially almost they had no liability to begin with. Well, after 911, Congress and the pharmaceutical industry got together and they passed what they, we called BioShield legislation. It was on the backs of the idea that there were weapons of mass destruction that were going to be used against the United States. And the United States had to have legislation in place for, pan, quote, pandemic or bioterrorism emergencies <laughs> and uh, the weapons of mass destruction that were never found. Mm -hmm. And um, so they passed this legislation and part of it was the PREP Act. And this, this had to do with pandemics, declared public health emergencies. The compensation mechanism that is in the PREP Act and was reconfirmed by Congress in the spring of 2020 with regard to COVID um, is, is it's a separate compensation program that's even worse <laughs> than the one that the civilians, you know, that, that, that we have had in place uh, for the last 30 some years. So he, there's almost no hope if you're injured uh, by a vaccine that is under a public health emergency declaration. Um, I don't know if they're going to switch from this PrEP Act compensation program that's it's just a joke 
a worse joke, or they're going to, now that they've licensed the vaccine, at least one of the vaccines for uh, those 12 years and older, if they're going to switch it over to the uh, 1986 Act compensation program, I don't know what they're going to do. But that that PrEP Act compensation program is is terrible. Yeah, the um, called countermeasures. It's a countermeasures comp compensation program. I was one of about half a dozen people who had the privilege of reading Bobby Kennedy's new book, The Real Tony Fauci, which comes out in November. Must read book. It really is wow. one of the best books out there. And he goes into great details about how this BioShield um, legislation and implementation was really nothing more than a measure for, for gaming the system and, and essentially capturing tens of billions of dollars from the federal government. Just This is all a big money grab. That's all it is. So and, and power grab. And power grab. Yeah, they go hand in hand, actually. They really do. So thank you for <laughs> including that one. But, but they, they've made tons of money. And Fauci himself, who is definitely at the, one of the cores of this whole, whole nightmare, uh, is responsible for allocating over a trillion dollars, one trillion dollars in federal funding to researchers, principal investigators that are they're intimately and ultimately tied to pharma. pharma. And the, there are patent issues that they were creating, which generates royalties to them. And it was just this, it's this nightmare dystopia of, just raping the public for the for, from the funds federal treasury. So well, you know, I think part of what's happened here. I, I can hardly wait to re read that book uh, because I've lived this. Yeah, yeah. you know, I've, I've I've known Fauci for, or I mean, I've known about him. You know, for so long when he came to NIH you know, in the early. And he's 80s. a repeat offender because he did the same thing with the HIV epidemic, and he killed a third of a million people with AZT. A third of a million people. You know, Fauci has always been obsessed about developing an HIV vaccine. And in fact, Moderna just announced that they're going to <laughs> yeah, mRNA, yeah, yeah. Of an, of an RNA, mRNA HIV vaccine. And of course, Moderna partnered with NIAID, which is headed by Fauci. So I wasn't surprised when I saw that uh, because HIV vaccine has been not only the goal of Fauci. Uh, but also of the World Health Organization and the Gavi, you know, the manu vaccine manufacturers. So I, I predict that we're going to see a big push to have everybody in the world get just a little bit of HIV so they can be protected from <laughs> HIV. Um, you know, I think that what's really happened is Congress has decided that only the the doctors at NIH. And these public health officials and the uh, are the ones that should be deciding public policy when really they need to be more involved. They need to understand that, you know, not the entire world is not going to be made safe by using scores and scores of vaccines all through your life. Uh, you know, there has been a neglect from the very beginning of this pandemic of looking at ways to get through a course of COVID without having complications ending in hospitalization and death. And I, I feel I am personally affected by it in that I had COVID in December of 2019 and I had a fairly difficult course with it. 
for 10 weeks into the end of February of 2020. Now, when I got it, I, of course, didn't know what I had, uh, but it was not uh, a, f- a fun experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was left with long COVID uh, that lasted 16 months until I had a functional medicine doctor who tested me, found that I had a reactivated, the COVID had reactivated an Epstein-Barr infection. I'd had a mm-hmm. very serious one when I was 18 years old and was hospitalized in my freshman year in college. And it had reactivated it. And she prescribed ivermectin, mm-hmm. a short course of appropriately dosed mm-hmm. ivermectin. And I had a com- an amazing, amazing uh, reduction in my symptoms that included cardiac symptoms, at AFib condition, and that had been diagnosed by a cardiologist. So I had all the classic symptoms of, of covid I had a, a, a classic course of long COVID, and yet I didn't know that I could have used months and months ago ivermectin to help me get through. I, I, my energy shot up after that ivermectin. Um, I stopped having to sleep 12 hours a day. I st- my cardiac symptoms were significantly reduced. It was like I got my life back, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet people have been, the government has, has gone after doctors, holistic doctors who have been prescribed like you, who have urged people to get vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, both to, and ivermectin and other, these other mm-hmm. licensed drugs that are safe and have been around forever. The, the government actively discouraged people from doing things that could have helped them recover. This is it. This is so wrong on so many levels, and 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 so this is a colossal mismanagement of an well, outbreak. I I don't think it's a mismanagement. I think it's it's designed and planned. They 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 did this intentionally. This is not an aptitude in, by any stretch of the imagination. This has been very carefully strategically planned. Well, I know when I, a couple of uh, months ago, I went on the website of the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. And what comes up? The Great Reset. Yeah, yeah. And I could not believe what I was reading. Completely yeah. transparent of how they want to reset the entire world's economy. Yeah, that, that's the motivation. And, you know, the, when you mentioned earlier is that the Congress is uh, capitulating to the public health experts. And who is the ultimate public health expert? The World Health Organization. They are the controllers, the leaders. So look at who the funding is. And when I was confused on this until I read Bobby's book, The Real Tony Fauci, the, because it was thought that the United States was the biggest funder of the World Health Organization. Well, that is not true. Absolutely not true. Even when although it wasn't true when Trump uh, removed the United States funding before he left presidency and then Biden, of course, reinstated it. But the the number one funder is Bill Gates because they were only looking at the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's funding. What they failed to include was the Gavi contribution, which is totally funded by by Gates. So we And manufacturers. Vaccine manufacturers. So yeah, there's probably even more ways that he... But he is by far... 
the leading financial contributor to the World Health, control, control, World Health Organization, and he controls the strings. He runs, he's the puppet master over there. So what, so he gets them to say whatever he wants, and that leads into this massive, you know, suppression and censorship of any information with counters the vaccine narrative, which is exactly what happened to you and anything like ivermectin or, or hydroxychloroquine uh, or the nutrients that we know work so effectively are just suppressed and censored. So there's only one legal alternative and that is the vaccine. That's the, right. The injection. It just, I mean, I'm not a big fan of vaccines. Absolutely. As you haven't been for the last four decades, but it still is inappropriate to call this injection a vaccine. I call it a cell disruptor biological because or, or, it disrupts. Or Zelenko calls it the kill shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I remember back in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties, I can't remember the exact date when Bill Gates was charged with antitrust violation. Mm -hmm. That was late nineties, right? Um, Gosh, I thought it was earlier 90s, but whatever. No, no, the yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was in the 90s, yeah. In it was the 90s. The, and yeah. I remember at the time thing, when, when he almost immediately formed the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that was going to have its centerpiece uh, using vaccines to eradicate disease. And I thought, I wonder, you know, that's interesting. He's going to partner with the CDC and the public health officials to promote vaccines and I, and, I, and I thought, I'm going to really watch what the Justice Department does here. I'm going to watch and see how, how, how badly he gets his hand slapped on this antitrust violation. Well, he barely got his hand slapped at all. Yeah. And I kept thinking, what a, I wonder if that was a quid pro quo, you know? Oh, absolutely it was. And if you look at some of the, the uh, deposition videos clips, I mean, they got, he definitely is on the spectrum. Uh, and his response, he was just bobbing away like this and during this, the hearing and, and making nonsense statements. But he, you're right, he got off. And you know, he's, he's a, he was a criminal. And, and he was really despised by the public quite widely, as was John D. Rockefeller, who uh, actually lived and died a few, literally a mile away from where I live. Uh, so uh, in, there's another point I keep I hate to keep going back to Bobby's book, but it's so darn good. The real Tony Fauci, he has a section in there. I kind of challenge him on it, but there's this, there was a, one of the great uh, mentor, not mentors, but counselor, not counselors, consultants that Rockefeller used in his transforming because he had a, he had a huge issue with public perception too. Everyone hated him because he was this tyrant or whatever. So he had, a, a, this primary consultant was F Frederick Gates, Frederick Gates, who, interesting, Sarah's the last name is Bill Gates. And, and he has a section in his, Bobby has a section in his book that he talks about them. And this guy Gates was responsible for changing his, his basically starting the philanthropic component, which, which essentially put this halo around Rockefeller. Well, there's speculation. I, I challenge Bobby to find it because there's a lot of uh, discrediting, but you know, discrediting the internet doesn't necessarily mean anything because that's what they do. They, they, they just claim something that's false when it couldn't, couldn't be any truer. So, but there's some, some concerns that this isn't true, but it appears that this Gates that, that guided Rockefeller was the great grandfather of Bill Gates, who's doing all this. Wow. I thought that was interesting. Wow. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny how you go back in history and you, and you look and you can start to connect all the dots. Yeah. I think what's been very telling 
during this pandemic is the heightened censorship of anyone who challenges the government narrative about COVID and COVID vaccines. And certainly you and I have been the subject of that censorship. When MVIC, uh, when we last did this interview last year on Vaccine Awareness Week, it was before MVIC's October 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, Fifth International Public Conference on Vaccination, which featured 51 speakers, including you, of course. Uh, and uh, it, we had to hold it online because of the social distancing restrictions. I, we were not able to hold it in the hotel. But very shortly after we held that online conference, uh, the Center for Counting Digital Hate, uh, which is headed by a political operative uh, connected with the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, uh, it, it went after us in something called the Anti-Vaccine Playbook, and I was number one on the hit list of five people. You were on it. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Kennedy, I think Del Bigtree and Andy Wakefield. We were the top five bad people. Good in group the world. to be in. Good group to be in. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 it was, and it was all about NBIC holding the secret conference. <laughs> the secret conference, like, like this, this group of terrorists getting together to, to actually fool all the people about the COVID vaccine and COVID. And it was so ludicrous because here this was an open public conference, highly promoted, open to anyone. It was pay-per-view because we had to hire professionals to try to build a new website and, and get it and protect it from sabotage. Yeah. And ultimately, we ultimate, ultimately, we had it available for viewing for free for all. Well, right. Well, let, let me finish the story here. So... So, so he, he, he does this international attack on the National Vaccine Information Center and those of us who he, we identified as public enemies and, and called on social media and on the U.S. government to make sure that people like us did not have a voice in the public square on social media, wanted us all taken down because we were giving out misinformation, like, like we were enemies of the state, right? So what happened? As soon as that came out in, in the early 2021, I opened up the conference for free. I said, fine. And I sent out an international press release. I said, okay, we're opening up our conference for free viewing for everybody to see whether this was a secret meeting or indeed was an open public conference that anybody could, could come to. Well, within about a month, between March 2nd and May 23rd, the National Vaccine Information Center was deplatformed from Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're the, we're the only group that is that highly censored. We're, we're off of three of the four major social media platforms. So we obviously have gone, have gone to alternative platforms, but we lost hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. The National Vaccine Information Center that's, that has represented parents of vaccine-injured children, ch families of vaccine-injured children, wh why don't they want to hear what we have to say? And all of our information on NVAC.org and on the vaccinereaction.org, which is our weekly journal newspaper, is all completely referenced often using references from the government and from, the, and, and, and from medical organizations and the medical literature. So you have also been censored. After, after they did that to us, 
Then they published the Disinformation 12, of which you were number one, and went after you viciously to try to get you knocked off of social media as well. Fortunately, I saw recently that Facebook and uh, Twitter, Twitter, I think, had pushed back on the government's trying to put pressure on the social media companies to take all of the people who are dissenting from, from uh, these policies yeah, off they, the social media. They, they did it with data. Their claim was the Center for, for CCDH, Imrat Amin, who is an unregistered foreign agent that will likely wind up in prison for violating federal rules, uh, is claimed that the 12 of us were responsible for two thirds of the misinformation, right? Two thirds. When Facebook did their deep dive data analysis, it turned out to be a half of 1%, not 67%, a half of 1%. Absolutely. And, and, and by that time, I wasn't on the disinformation 12. Yeah, you was out. Big tree because we've been taken off of social media. Yeah, you weren't a target. There was no reason to focus on you because you weren't contributing anything. It's just that and we still are on. We have the, not been deplatformed because we were very careful about what we post. We, we thought but, we well, we've been taken out of the search engines for <laughs> two, two or three years, so. Yeah, it you know when 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 you can't when they can't handle the truth, they censor it basically, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, and so it hasn't been an even playing field in terms of getting the information, the real information out to the people. It's a classic Orwellian strategy, absolutely, and and having this massive doublespeak where, where everything they say is essentially the opposite of what the truth is. Well, and I have to, I really have to publicly congratulate you. Dr. Bercola, on uh, when CNN went after you with their camera, like some paparazzi, you know, uh, stalking uh, uh, a prey, uh, in, and, and they hunted you down to your house in Florida while you were trying to exercise on the beach, which you do every day, I know, you walk mm -hmm. on the beach. Mm -hmm. I have to hand it to you. <laughs> I, I, I've done media for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you didn't flinch. Your body, your you you absolutely did not let them intimidate you at all. It was <laughs> an amazing thing to watch. Not yeah. only did you look super healthy, which you are, uh, which is a great testimony to your lifestyle, but but you also absolutely did not let them get you. You very calmly handled the situation in a way I have seen few people handle it when the media is trying to go after someone. Uh, well, well thank, noticed, thanks, thanks for those kind words, but I wish I could have, and I would have done it a little bit differently. I would have stopped and said, I'm sorry, I can't answer your questions because you're not wearing a mask. And then just, just <laughs> <laughs> that would have been better. Well, I, yeah, it was good. Thanks for, thanks for saying that, but. Well, I, I'd like to give a little bit of good news here in the midst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's focus on it because let me say, let me let me just preface this by saying many who are watching this probably saw the lecture I gave at our 24th annual celebration, anniversary celebration, not annual anniversary celebration in Cape Coral. And thankfully, uh, you followed our lead and moved down to the same area and live not too far from our offices. So you're free from much of the tyranny that is occurring in, in your uh, the state that you moved from. And 
And so you attended this lecture is what I wanted to say. And then prior to me going up, there's one person I wanted to see that I knew was in the audience was you. So I went and talked to you and you, you shared some, this is, you were so excited and and joyful and saying, we're, this is great, great. So I I had to go jump up on the stage and talk, but I want you to, to finish those statements here and let everyone hear why you're so happy about it. Well, you know, one of the things I'm very happy about is that everyone is starting to understand that these that these vaccines do not prevent infection and transmission. The entire mandatory vaccination system in this country has been built on the myth that if you get vaccinated, you cannot get infected and transmit the infection to other people. That you have vaccine acquired immunity that is robust and contributes to herd immunity. When the truth is, the vaccine-acquired immunity uh, is, is often very temporary, and sometimes you don't get it at all. And really, herd immunity is more based on natural immunity mm-hmm. and to some extent on temporary va- artificially acquired immunity that is through, immuniz- uh, through vaccination. So the term immunization really should never be used anymore. These, vac- these COVID vaccines, they they have acknowledged, the government has now acknowledged, cannot reliably prevent infection and transmission to other people. This is a game changer if people will really get their arms around it. And I, 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 so I am am glad that, that that has come out. I'm also glad that we're seeing people around the world stand up and fight for their freedom. Uh, What's happened in Sydney, Australia is so shocking. Uh, The lockdowns that they've had there, the helicopters that have been flying overhead and warning people in Sydney that they can't come out of their homes, they will be found, they will be prosecuted. Uh, It is is stunning. And and so, and in this country, what have we done? What MVIC has been encouraging people to do is work the system. Go into your state legislators, and, and, and have personal conversations with them. Carry model state legislation, which we, we have created at, created at the beginning of this pandemic, because we knew that the end game would be mandatory COVID vaccine vaccination. And we have 21 states that have passed legislation that restrict or prevent COVID vaccine mandates or COVID uh, vaccine passports. This is very significant. It's not talked about a lot, but it's significant. There have been several governors who have also issued executive orders. We prefer legislation because an executive order can change if another governor is elected in the next election. So what we are, we are you know, really encouraging is for people to not lose faith in the system and to get involved at every level of government. That means your school board, your county boards, councils, your uh, your state uh, legislatures, your federal, federal is the toughest, but you're at the local level, you can really make personally a difference. If you will talk to your neighbors, talk to your community, give them the information that's produced by MBIC and by Mercola.com, give them factual information that's backed up with references and, and, and try to change the conversation in your community and also by participating in government because we are governed by laws, and we have to change the bad laws so that we can not have to feel this kind of oppression that we've felt for almost two years. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. I mean, there is a glimmer of hope. And, you know, you live in the one of the, those 21 states that does 
have a ban against vaccine passports. So it's hard to understand, to conceive of it being effectively implemented with nearly half the states, certainly more than a quarter of the states uh, opposing it. So, I mean, logistically, it would be a nightmare to implement. But uh, I don't know, how does, how does it, does, does a no-fly policy by the airlines, does that supersede a vaccine passport restriction? Or, or are they isolating the passport to the requirement of, because you almost have to have a passport to show, to demonstrate that you've been vaccinated. I mean, you could do it with those little cards, but I think that's going to, that's really a temporary measure. And they're ultimately going to more of a digital system, which is probably more difficult to, uh, uh, to, to, to game. Uh, well, I don't want to underestimate the potential here. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that we've had some good news in, in like you say, a, a quarter to coming up on a half of the states. But that doesn't mean that, that those who are intent upon having every American have to carry a vaccine passport and preventing you from participating in society, they're not going to stop that, that uh, forwarding mm-hmm. that goal. Mm-hmm. So it's a serious situation. And I talk about it in the commentary that is published on Tuesday in Vaccine Awareness Week mm-hmm. about what has happened and the restrictions that have been put on people and, and what could happen. I'll just point out one. Uh, there's a, a page on the CDC website that basically talks about quarantine camps and being able to detain citizens, private citizens in these camps, should they feel that they need to be protected from the rest of society or the rest of society protected from them. Now, this is a very serious uh, constitutional issue. Uh, The idea that you can't get on a plane or indeed if the government decides to invoke their authority over interstate commerce, Mm -hmm. which means that you cannot cross state lines, state borders, unless you've been vaccinated or have this vaccine Mm -hmm. passport, because public health laws basically are state laws in this country, but they they govern the people that are within the borders of the states. Mm -hmm. The feds have authority for when you cross state borders or when you come into the external borders of of U.S. states or territories. So there is a division of authority. Uh, And and certainly if if the government, uh, if if an executive branch, a a current administration wanted to pull that trigger on interstate commerce, uh, they could do that. And in fact, there is uh, there are doctors and lawyers who are encouraging the current administration to pull that trigger. And so there's a piece of legislation in Congress right now that would prohibit you from getting uh, into a plane in the United States and actually flying to another airport in the United States. That that is a play on this interstate commerce. No, so that's a commercial plane. I mean, you can probably drive fly privately, I would assume, or is that also going to be banned? Yeah. Which makes it really pricey to travel. (laughs) It's still possible. It's just expensive. But I do know that they say one of the things they've been saying is with the official licensing of the COVID-19 vaccines, this will add fuel to the fire of mandates. Oh, sure. Yeah. Justification, because it's not an emergency use authorization anymore. This is approved. Why don't you address that now? Because I, I alluded to that, that we would, because before we went on, you started talking about, so let's say that for the presentation, I forgot about it, but yes, 
talk about, I mean, as we're recording this, this is the day we're recording. Again, it's a few weeks before you're going to see this, but the FDA authorized or, or actually approved, formally approved the Pfizer shot for COVID. So why don't you dive deeper into that because you've got a lot of good insights. Well, I have not seen, because they did not hold a FDA advisory committee meeting that gives the the argument from the manufacturers that gives the FDA briefing document has this discussion that is open and transparent with the public. I've not seen the documents which the, the, the companies provided the FDA to justify official licensing. It just, mm -hmm. just happened literally today. Yeah. Uh, and, but again, we're taping this earlier. Um, so I, I don't know what data they used, but what I can do is speak to the emergency use authorization data, the clinical trials that were, were held in order for the companies to get an emergency use authorization from the FDA to distribute the vaccines in this country. The guidance that the companies were given was that they had to, they had to provide data that showed a more than 50% uh, effectiveness at preventing serious symptoms of COVID-19 disease. They were never asked to, to show data that, that the, the, uh, the vaccine prevented infection with the SARS-CoV-2 or transmission. So the, the bar was set very low at the very beginning for the emergency use authorization, 50% 50, 50 or so effectiveness at preventing symptoms of severe COVID disease that would lead to hospitalization or death. And if you look at the rhetoric that the CDC uses, you can see that they're always talking about prevention of hospitalization and death. You know, again, this is not the traditional, this is not what people think happens when you get a vaccine. We have been carefully taught to believe that when we get vaccinated, we will not get infected and we won't transmit that infection to other people. None of which are true for this, this injection. None. And for many other injections. Yeah. Pertussis vaccine. I've done, I've done several commentaries looking at the evidence that pertussis vaccine, you can be vaccinated and still transmit, often asymptomatically. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with influenza vaccine. That is well known. And the same thing for measles vaccine and mumps and chickenpox vaccine. So that's why I said at the outset of our interview that this is an opportunity to educate people about what vaccination really means. And it's, it's also an argument for why these vaccines should not be mandated. This is a pharmaceutical product. In this case, it's a biological product that it, it, pharmaceutical product that has never been made like this. This is an entirely new technology. It is truly an experiment on the human race mm -hmm. because they did not do the kind of science that they should have done to give an emergency use authorization. And certainly I'm waiting to look at the data, but I, I would- Well, the, da the data doesn't sure exist. All those trials you referenced, they had control groups. Well- like four or five, six months ago, they eliminated the control groups on the justification that they couldn't withhold this unbelievably helpful strategy to prevent the pandemic or to limit That's it. right. That was That's right. There's no control group. We have no clue 
what it is. And this is by design. And if you look at Peter McCullough's work on it, who's been, who's been heavily involved in many studies and, and even vaccine trials, where there's this data events monitoring board that's initiated that was totally excluded. They intentionally removed those safety safeguards from this whole process. And if they had been implemented, Peter was really clear because he's been in these types of trials before, they would have had to stop this 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 COVID injection in late January because of all the deaths that occurred. That's right. And, and you know, you've talked about antibody dependent enhancement. Yeah, well, a lot of people idea. talk about that. That's that's the big concern for the future, right? That's right. But but they also, you know, people have been so wrapped up in fear, paralyzed by fear because of the constant. You cannot turn on a radio or watch television or open up a a newspaper online and not see the constant barrage of propaganda that that that, that oh, sure. everyone's going to die. Well, well, this is still a less than one percent mortality rate for this infection. No question, it can be very serious. I, I know it can be very serious. Yeah, you have but it. The, the people who are but now you're permanently you are truly immunized now. You can't get it again. I I know. I mean, I feel I feel. <laughs> They're not acknowledging the importance of the contribution of natural immunity, like people like I have, who got it when they didn't even know what it was, that, or they, at least if they knew, they weren't telling people. Um, but and, and that's one of the most reprehensible crimes that they are uh, excluding that the true, authentic resistance to a, 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 another infection or any variant of this, the one that does not pr produce vaccine variant or not vaccine variants like the leaky COVID injection does, which causes the variants. It's not immunized people like you that cause the variants, it's the people who got the, the injection where it mutates and they can't defeat it because it's so simple targeted. It just doesn't do it. So they've, they've you know, it's just a catastrophe that they would, they don't even acknowledge that it's our fundamental, our intrinsic immune capacity with that supposedly these COVID injections are supposed to augment and stimulate our own immune system. Without an immune system, they wouldn't work at all. They work on producing antibodies. What the heck do you think produces antibodies? It's your immune system. But you need to use killer lymphocytes and, and T cells. Uh, T cells. Yeah. So it's far more than just the antibodies and, and specifically limited antibodies that cannot uh, shift and morph to, to be more universal to prevent the variants. And, you know, I'm in a high risk group. I'm over 65. Yeah. Uh, I have I actually have a very hyperactive immune system. I heal very quickly, but I have anaphylactic reactions to foods and medicines and chemicals. Uh, but I know why I got sick. <laughs> I was not taking care of myself mm -hmm. in the winter of in December of 2019. I was burning the candle at both ends. I wasn't sleeping. I was skipping my supplements. I wasn't no taking my D. supplements and vitamins every day. Uh, I was I was not, I was skipping my gym appointments. Oh, I was geez. going to the gym. I was, I was just, I had all these work projects to get done and I was saying, and Christmas shopping. And I said, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. <laughs> it matters. <laughs> it does matter, big time. Yeah, it's just like when you're flying and the flight attendant announces, listen, if the oxygen masks drop, you've got to take care of yourself first, not the person next to you, even if it's your child. Because if you aren't functioning at a high level, there's no one else you can take care of.
That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had this argument with Vladimir Zelenko because he's guilty on steroids with that, the same strategy, and he's ruining his health because of it. So, uh, yeah, you've got to take care of yourself first. There's, it, you, it's not, you, it's this self-sacrifice is baloney. You cannot help other people if you're not healthy yourself. So true. Yeah. Boy, did I learn the hard way. <laughs> so what would you... I'm sure you thought about it in the last year. What would you ascribe uh, or how would you describe the accomplishments that NBIC has been able to do? What do you think are some of the biggest victories in oh, the past year? Have been? You know, I think that this year we've been, we so many people have been contacting us. You know, we have a, a counseling service and we help people who are families who contact us who are going through a vaccine reaction or who are asking for information but one of the things that we're really excited about is we're going to be launching a brand new website in uh, 2022 that that you helped us with your donations helped us be able to do. Very expensive project, but something that I'm very excited about. Uh, we're also going to be uh, launching a, an updated, finally, uh, NBIC obviously portal website. Uh, but we have been able to uh, also our vaccine reaction uh, newsletter, weekly newsletter has seen an almost 50% increase in subscribers. It's a free newsletter. And this shows you the, the, uh, the, the people are thirsty for this information. I know that your, your newsletter also, even though you've gone down to a 48 hour window that mm -hmm. you keep your articles up, I know that you have a, a big increase in your, in your subscription base too. Again, showing that the public is really interested in having information. But we have been putting an, an awful lot of our efforts into the states and trying to educate people and train them on how to be effective vaccine choice advocates in their state. This takes a lot of organizing and it takes a lot of collaboration between uh, other groups that are on the front lines in the states. Uh, we could never have done that. We couldn't. We wouldn't be here, Dr. Mercola, if it hadn't been for the support that you have given us over the years. And I, I feel that. I feel positive. Um, I feel that the people in this country are going to remember that freedom is something they have to fight for. It's taken us a little bit of time to come out of our shock uh, because they punched us around pretty good in mm -hmm. 2020. I think that people are waking up now and start and are going to start to really fight back. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, it's, uh, I think was it, I think it was last year that I got a really nice Christmas present because the Washington Post did another hit piece on me and they <laughs> exposed me as the primary funder of the anti-vax movement. I think it was I think it was 2020. It might have been 2019, but I think it was 2020. And uh, yeah, and I'm proud of that, you know, because it is an anti-vax. It's it's vaccine safety. That and informed consent word. and informed consent and it, informed consent. Thank you for reminding me about that is absolutely 100% unquestionably impossible. If you censor the information that tells them the side with the side effects and the, and the, 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 the damage that, the, that this injection can cause. So they are essentially making back informed consent impossible with this propaganda and censorship. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, it's it's all about suppressing the information and uh, doctor. I, I'm just so glad that there is this growing minority of doctors and scientists yeah. and medical workers who have been on the front lines who are starting to stand up and they're risking yeah, their yeah. careers to do it. 
Yeah, I think that is the true silver lining in this mess is that there are a number of clinicians and leaders, potential leaders, who maybe had some concerns, but when when the, the censorship and the propaganda is so blatant, so obviously blatant, and the damage and the deaths that they are causing is is reprehensible malfeasance that they 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 took this they're taking ground they're taking a stand and, and standing their ground and coming up and, and inspiring many others to do the same so I, I we needed something like this in some ways it's like an alcoholic and it's commonly appreciated that many alcoholics tend not to get into recovery until they they're in the gutter right so we've almost had to get this a basically tyrannical intervention exposing the 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 real threats to our personal liberties that they're they're seeking to do and then waking people up and as a result uh, you know resisting as after they're aware of what their, their their ulterior motivations are right there's a chapter in dbt a shot in the dark the the book that i co-authored with harris Coulter in 1985 that uh, where I, I chose a quote and, and it, it has to do with something like suffering and nothing else is the catalyst for social reform. And I knew that we would have to go through a period of suffering uh, because they have revealed themselves. Mm-hmm. Those who are, are authoritarian forced vaccinators uh, have revealed themselves mm-hmm. in the last uh, 18 months. And that reveal has caused people to take a step back and look and see what their real goal is. Yeah, so it's real obvious. But uh, what what I've learned too, and in, in seeking in my, in my attempts to understand what's going on, is that this this is not only is it the greatest experiment in the history of humanity, but this is also the most effective propaganda campaign in the history of humanity, Absolutely. literally on a global basis. And nothing even comes close. And that. Propaganda is so effective that it literally is causing a mass psychosis. And the people who have been propagandized, which is kind of coming close to the majority of the population, they have essentially abandoned any rational thought on this issue. Their mind has closed down, clamped down for a variety of different mechanisms that we don't have time to go into the psychological components. But essentially, their their parent or their sibling could die from a vaccine literally within 30 seconds of being injected right in front of them. And they're so propagandists is no, that vaccine is safe with something else. And they would go out and get a, a booster tomorrow. I mean, that's how severe it is. And I know that sounds like an extreme example, but I have seen and heard of many that are pretty similar to that. Yes. And, and the, the lack of uh, recognition that there are underlying uh, immune and other types of disorders, metabolic disorders that can predispose you to having a bad course with any infection, not just COVID. The, the issue of obesity, of, uh, of diabetes, of underlying healthcare problems that particularly affect people as they grow older, uh, as is 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 not being factored in the, the concentration on vaccinating all the younger groups, it, particularly now when we're going to see a real push to vaccinate children as soon as the vaccine is mm-hmm. approved for use in children, uh, is really disturbing. And there's just the the whole the whole way they've approached this is so disingenuous 
and so questionable that that it's it's really when you take a cold hard look at it, it's almost beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and and so so you know what was it? Who was it? Goebbels, I think, who said, you know, you have to tell the big lie. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that people really will swallow it. It has to be a big one. Yeah, it does. And there have been a number of them that they have forwarded. And I, I it's, it makes me sad because I spent over 20 years as a consumer representative on vaccine advisory committees. It was in the 80, late 80s, the 90s, early 2000s, but mostly the 90s, when consumer advocates were still asked to be part of the conversation by government. Yeah. It was a time when a totally different time than now because yeah, the, no. just, they're not allowed at the table anymore. <laughs> uh, people like me are not allowed. Even credential icons of academia <laughs> are not allowed. No. With hundreds of publications and editors of multiple journals are not right. allowed at the table if they have any disagreement in their viewpoints. But I was just representing the families of vaccine injured children, and 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 we deserve to be part of the conversation because we're the ones that they're asking. We're, they're asking us to trust them, you know, with their policies. And, and so I would come forward and say, have with the questions that we had. And I was allowed at the time, and maybe I was allowed at the time because they didn't really think that it mattered. Um, it was just a token uh, representation. But then in the 2000s, all of a sudden, I was viewed as a threat because I think more people were opening up their, their minds. And they all of a sudden, they thought, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so now there's just, you know, everybody's got a march in lockstep. Nobody can have an open mind. Nobody can ask a question. Nobody can criticize government. There was an article published where a leading vaccine developer called for the criminalization of criticism of scientists and doctors that work for government, that it would be made a hate crime to criticize people like Fauci. Is now, that Peter, Ho- Peter Hotez? Peter Hotez. Yeah, yeah. Now, yes. why? He also called for uh, cyber warfare for the people like me and any of the disinformation doesn't. They, these are such a big threat to, to, to our to humanity that they we need to in, engage cyber warfare well, cyber warfare on these individuals. That was this a nature is, article. That's pretty dangerous talk. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> I mean, people listen to people like Hotez, you know, internationally. Yeah. And and I, I well, <laughs> I think that in my heart of hearts, I believe people are going to stand up and fight for their freedom. Yeah, they will. We, it's we, not a guarantee, but I'm certainly hoping they will. Yeah, no. So, I, you know, we got to close this, but uh, I, I'll close it on a ray of hope and optimism that I'm convinced we win in the end. Things will probably get a little worse before we win, but we will win. They just cannot defeat this movement of understanding that there is a nucleus of people who are awake and, and alert and understand the truth and they will not be con. They will not be con. So we need to support and encourage them. And one of the best tools we have to do that, especially in this area is NBC.org because you will not find them on social media because they've been censored and banned because they're too big a threat. So 
why don't you join me in, in continuing to support this incredible organization that I've been so proud to be associated with, which is, uh, by, I think every dollar you donate, I'm going to match it. So that's how, that's how much I believe in it. So I've been blessed to be supported by most of you. And I will, I mean, 10% of the money that I earn gets donated back to charities like NVIC. And I'm proud to do that because you know, we have to make a dent in this. We can't let them win. We have to defeat them. And this is one of the ways that we do that. So uh, anything you want to add to that, Barb, before we close? No, I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm with you, Dr. Mercola. I, I keep the faith and, mm -hmm. and I encourage people to take action because it's, it's about taking personal action. It's not about liking something on Facebook or expecting <laughs> yeah, somebody else to sense. do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got to put your 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 money where your mouth where I won't forget what that aphorism is, but uh, you got to do it. You got to take action. So that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, my, put your money where your mouth is, I think is the, right. the term. Okay. All right. So thanks for watching and uh, thanks for all the work you do and Barb and continue the fight. And uh, we're going to win this thing. We are.